Amen. You can be seated, and what a great view this is. Uh, last year, this room was empty, and I remember, you know, we're all posting pictures online, hashtagging those Easter at Providence or something like that, just to try to stay connected, and I'm just staring at the exit sign, preaching live stream, and praise God, I think the exit sign got saved, but, you know, this is such a joy to be able to look out and see everyone and for us to be together. And so I am super duper happy about that. So once again, welcome. If you've got a Bible, grab it and make your way to Luke chapter 5. All right. Now I know that's way early. Resurrection chapter 24. We will get to the resurrection. But I want to start in Luke chapter 5 because so much of Jesus's life is kind of a I told you moment. Like I told you or I told you so moment, not in a snarky way, but in a good way. And we all kind of know what these moments are like. I've got, like, if, if my dad's watching, I don't, I don't know, but if he is, I've got all kinds of those in my life with him saying, you know, I told you, son. And so one of the ones that stands out the most is when I was 10 years old, I wanted to get a 20-gauge for my birthday. And my dad was like, that's maybe a big, a big gun for you at 10 years old. And I was like, I'm good, I'm good. And so my parents gave in, they bought it for me. And, you know, they got it and they brought it home. And, and naturally, I wanted to go, go shoot it. And so we went out in the backyard. I'd get arrested at Silverstream for doing that. But this is where I grew up on a farm. So we went out in the backyard, put up a piece of firewood or something like that. And it was just a little, like, uh, you know, broken, break open, single shot, super lightweight. My dad warned me. He said, son, that thing's going to kick like a mule. And I'm like, I'm good, dad. So get there, set everything up. I take aim, pull the trigger, Boom! After I get up off the ground, he makes sure I'm okay, and he says, son, I told you. And there's so many things like this all throughout my life, and it's the same with you guys. We all have these stories where we didn't listen, we didn't understand, we didn't pay attention, and then afterwards, a, a mom or a dad or a friend um, comes to you, a spouse comes to you and says, I told you. This is so much of what Jesus' life is. He is constantly telling us all throughout the scriptures who he is. And then he gives various examples and various proofs through his healings, his miracles, showing us that, hey, I am who I say I am. I really am. And one of the clearest examples that we get of this, especially early on in his life, is in Luke chapter 5, where he heals a man who is paralyzed. And it's also where he teaches us a whole lot about who he is and then gives a proof of it with rise, raising this man up to walk, though he's been paralyzed. And so I want us to start there. And so if you have a Bible with you, this is going to be, again, Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, you probably have a device. If you'll get that out, as long as you don't play Angry Birds or something... Get that out, find your Bible app, Luke chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there are some hardback ones around you. Page 861. Page 861, Luke chapter 5. We'll start in verse 17. I'll read a little bit. Uh, verse 2, talk. Read a little bit. Verse 2, talk. And we'll make our way through this little section. Luke chapter 5, verse 17. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And so what's happening here is Jesus is teaching in a home. 
Okay, it's a community group like we have here at Providence. And so they've got a community group going. Jesus shows up. Okay, that's a good community group, right? But then they've got a community group going. Pharisees and scribes show up. That's a bad community group. But that's the community group that they have. And so that's what's going on. The house is full, standing room only. No one can get in. And it says the Pharisees and teachers that are there are from every village and of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And so the Pharisees are, are pompous, self-righteous, fundamentalist leaders who want to find something wrong with Jesus, this new guy, this Jesus guy, because he's messing up their system. And so, verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus, but finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed, through the tiles, into the midst, before Jesus. And so get this and understand what's happening here. The paralytic's friends can't get him to Jesus. Why? Because of all the religious leaders who are in the way. Now that's a sermon for another day, but there's some truth that we need to understand there. And so the friends, they can't get him to Jesus. They want to get him to Jesus. And so they climb up on the roof, rip that thing open, shout out, look out below. Here comes Jesus right down to the, here comes uh, the paralyzed man right down to the feet of Jesus. Okay. Now, I want to call a timeout and talk to those of you who were maybe drugged here this morning. Your family drug you here. A friend drug you here. Your mom and dad drug you. Maybe your kids drug you here. But they drug you here. You'd rather not be here. But they brought you in. What they are doing, like, th that's what Christians do. This is what we see these friends doing. They're doing everything that they can to bring their friend to Jesus. And so friends, what, I mean, what friends do, like, we love our friends. We take care of our friends. We are there for our friends. Those folks who brought you today, they pour themselves out for you. They love you. This is part of what the church does. We share burdens. You don't have to go it alone. We're in this together. We are a family. We show compassion. But the showing of compassion, like that compassion doesn't end with care, just caring. That's where it begins. But it presses on into doing everything we can to help bring our friends to Jesus. And so those of you who are drugged here today know your friend loves you and they want you to come to Jesus. And you may go, well, why? What's the big deal about Jesus? Why do they want me to, to come to Jesus? What? They want you to believe in Christ. They want you to believe, make sure, in the real Jesus. Not a caricature, not a, a fake Jesus that we just conjure up to fit whatever we want. They want you to believe in the real Jesus. And that is my singular like, call for today. This is your take home. This is what I want 
the phrase that's going through your mind all week long. Believe in the real Jesus. The real Jesus. And Jesus here in this passage tells us who he really is. And so look at verse 20 with me. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so again, the call is to believe in the real Jesus, and Jesus is helping us see who he really is. And right here, he drops his major truth bomb about who he really is. So he says, man, your sins are forgiven you. Folks, that is a ridiculously huge statement. And you look at all the various religious leaders that have ever been, no one's ever claimed this sort of thing. Muhammad doesn't claim this. Buddha doesn't, like he doesn't, Buddha doesn't say this. Brahma doesn't say this. Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, they don't say this. They say, hey, here's a set of rituals. Here's a set of steps. Here's a set of stuff you need to do in order to possibly pay God back and get in good graces with him. And if you do enough, then maybe he'll forgive you. But Jesus just says, forgiven. Why? Because I said so. And so the scribes and Pharisees are like, what? What are you doing? You can't do that. That's blasphemous. Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is silently like, exactly. That is exactly who I am. So verse 20 again. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, which maybe should have clued them in that, like, something's going on here. I just read your mind. But they still don't believe. And so when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise. Pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. And so Jesus has made this claim to deity, right? They don't believe him. And so he says, I'll just give you a little proof. Like he knows just like they do. It's one thing to say something. It's something else to prove it. And so he just reasons with them. Hey, which one of these phrases is easier to say? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven? Because that's invisible. No one can see that. Right? There's no proof. You just say it. Or, rise, take up your mat, and walk. Because that is visible. And so if you say that and it doesn't happen, then you, they know you're a fraud. They know you're a fake. They know that you are a poser. 
And so Jesus has purposefully brought the situation to a kind of put up or shut up kind of moment. And Jesus puts up, heals the dude on the spot, and in the midst of it makes another claim about who he really is. And so look at verse 24 again. He says, but that you may know, again, you need to know, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That phrase, the Son of Man, that is Jesus' favorite self-designation of Himself. 81 times He uses that phrase of Himself throughout the Gospels. And it comes from the Old Testament book of Daniel, written in the 6th century B.C. Daniel has a vision, and this is what he says. I saw in the night vision, chapter 7, verse 13, And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so when Jesus shows up saying, hey, I am the Son of Man, there is no denial of what he's doing. And in fact, this is what gets him killed on Good Friday. Mark chapter 14, verse 61. He's on trial before the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin. But he remained silent, just like John read out of Isaiah, like a sheep before his shears is silent. But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ? Which is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah. Are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man. There it is. Seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And so here's the reality, folks. We need to believe in the real Jesus, the Jesus that he claimed to be, the real Jesus of history and of Scripture, not in some fake Jesus, not in some manufactured Jesus, not in some caricature Jesus on TV, not in some Jesus has been co-opted for some cause. See, there are all kinds of people who have all kinds of enthusiasm for Jesus, but their excitement isn't for the real Jesus. It might be for a socialist Jesus, or a capitalist Jesus, or a Republican Jesus, or a Democrat Jesus, or a white nationalist Jesus, or an Antifa Jesus, but it's not for the real Jesus who loves his enemies and in the end gives his life as a sacrifice for sinners. And so if your enthusiasm, those watching at home even, if your enthusiasm is for a fake Jesus that isn't real, one you've constructed of your own presuppositions, prejudices, preferences to just, I mean, just already matches what you already believe, that enthusiasm for this fake Jesus 
is not honoring to Jesus, the real one, at all. And you're worshiping a false Jesus. And so there are all these, like, to kind of date myself, Depeche Mode, your own personal Jesus that exists out there, but then there's the real Jesus. The Christ. The Son of the living God. The Son of Man. Not just another prophet. Not just another rabbi. Not just another wonder worker. The Son of David. Abraham's chosen seed. The one to deliver us from captivity. The goal of the Mosaic Law. Yahweh in the flesh. The one to establish God's reign and rule. The one to heal the sick. Give sight to the blind. Freedom to the prisoners. Sight to the blind. Proclaim the good news to the poor. The Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. He's the Creator come to earth. Fulfilling the promises. Reversing the curse. He's our Lord and God. The Father's Son. Second person of the Trinity. Savior of the world. Substitute for our sins. Who died on a cross on a Friday and rose again on a Sunday. That's the real Jesus. You need to believe in the real Jesus. And he proved it, Luke 5, momentarily by telling this paralytic to rise and walk. But he proved it eternally when he rose and walked out of the grave. See, Ephesians, or Ephesians, see, Luke chapter 5 here, like the resurrection is kind of an amplified version of Luke 5. What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or get up and walk? Well, let's just up the ante a little bit. What's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, as Jesus did repeatedly, I'm going to die, and then three days later, I'm going to stop being dead. My heart will start beating. Blood will start flowing. Synapses will start firing. Nerves will start feeling. I will be alive again. And so on Good Friday, Jesus allowed Himself to be crucified in order to atone for our sins. But then on Sunday morning, He stopped being dead. And so the resurrection is the greatest, I told you, moment in the history of the world. It's the validation of all validations. I mean, I told you I loved you. I told you I had power to forgive sins. I told you I'm the Son of God. I told you I'm the Son of Man. I told you I'd die for your sins and rise again. I told you I'm the friend of sinners. I told you I'd set the captives free. And in my life, in my death, in my resurrection, I've done it. And here's what we need to hear. For you. Friends, hear that and internalize that. Jesus did this for you. He did it for all who would believe. And there's no process to follow. There's no set of ridiculous rules you have to keep to try to somehow 
earn God's forgiveness and favor as if you could. I mean, our sinfulness and His holiness are so far apart, we could never do that. No, we need our sins taken away, and we need to be given a righteousness that is not our own, and that's exactly what Jesus did for us. On the cross, the Father treated Jesus as if He had lived your life. Think about that. Your life, your sin, on the cross, the Father treated Jesus as if He had lived your life so that He could now treat you as if you had lived Jesus' life. No sin. This is what Jesus' life and death are all about. But it's the resurrection that cements all of this and infuses hope because it means that it's all true. If the resurrection didn't happen, we're wasting our time. If the resurrection did happen, it's all true. And so now we know because of the resurrection that Christ really has paid our debt. It's paid. We know that He really has purchased us back from sin. He really has removed our shame. He really has put death on the clock. It will go extinct. He really does love us. He really does. And He's with us. And the grand overarching story of the Bible, that musical we talked about last week, because of the resurrection, we know it really is happening. Creation, fall, redemption, and a coming restoration when all that's gone wrong will come untrue, will be made right. All the sad things will be made right. All of this because of this great big I told you so of the resurrection. The resurrection means like globally there's hope for a ruined humanity. And it means personally there's hope for the ruin in your life. Jesus can resurrect a broken life. He can resurrect a dead marriage. He can resurrect fractured relationships. He can resurrect a broken heart and a broken spirit. Jesus can resurrect lost jobs, unexpected events, circumstances you wouldn't have chosen. He can resurrect the hope that you've lost, the joy that's left you, and my friends who, are, who have not yet trusted in Jesus, He can resurrect you spiritually. Because see, that's what salvation is. It's going from spiritual death to spiritual life. It's going from impending doom because of your sin to guaranteed love and acceptance because Jesus has paid for your sin. And all it takes is you saying yes to Jesus' offer of salvation. No list of rules that you've got to keep, rituals you've got to follow, all these steps, step, 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 step. Hopefully my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. 
Trust in Christ. And there is forgiveness. You repent and believe the gospel. Put your whole trust in Jesus alone to save you from your sin. That's all there is. And for those of you who do that, maybe today or in the days to come, and for all of those of you who have done that, you have trusted by faith, Jesus now, now smiles at you with a loving, I told you. I told you I loved you. I told you I did. And a minute, like this much cross, resurrection, that much. I told you I loved you. And I always will. Praise his name for this, I told you so. Happy Easter, y'all. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for rescue. Thank you for redemption. Jesus, thank you for going through the pain and the agony of the cross. Not just what we can see, but what is unseen. As on you, the sins of the world were placed and you suffered in, their, in our place as our substitute. Thank you. And Father, I pray for those in this room who maybe do not yet know you, that you would resurrect them today from spiritual death to spiritual life. You would grant them faith to believe. And Father, I pray for those in here who are going through difficult days, difficult relationships, difficult work things, just difficult life. That you would infuse hope into their life. Because of the resurrection, yes, for what you can do temporally right now in their life, but also because of the hope that we have in heaven someday. The home that we have in glory land that outshines the sun, infuse us with hope because Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.